It's the Lazy Cat Podcast Show, featuring your host. It's the Lazy Cat. If you tell me back in the past. Let's say circa 2010ish, that in the future somehow Ant-Man would receive not one but three movies. I would say that I don't care about it. Like, look, first and foremost, I am not a big Ant-Man fan. I'm not that familiar with set character nor lore. If memory serves me right, the only media that I happened to stumble upon him was some clips of him being featured in Marvel's Ultimate Alliance or something on some random video game channel back then. And eventually, I grew up with searching around lore videos surrounding said character, Hank Pym, Yellow Jacket, his involvement with Wasp, and so on, made me realize that it just didn't latch on to my interest. Unlike many other Marvel superhero products such as Spider-Man, the X-Men, or perhaps Fantastic Four, even, well, I kind of don't like them, and many more. Each of them was much more nostalgic and has more recognizable traits, which made me familiar with their lore, shared universe, and even their own rogues gallery. And here's where Ant-Man gets his shared limelight, to my knowledge. I'm a tad bit glad that somehow MCU decides to give him the spotlight as a featured superhero back with his first movie, which I barely remember anything of it. I mean, on its own, it felt more like a filler episode during the first few phase of the Infinity Saga. And then there was a sequel that I decided to skip on, since I don't have any interest with it whatsoever. Ant-Man just felt like a side character that I barely give enough attention and care. Funny enough, how eventually he was the somewhat key that played an important role for Avengers Endgame. At that point, I kind of decided to give Scott Lang a slight opportunity of my undivided attention. I wanted to see more of him in action. In a situation that puts him in a risky situation, I was kind of interested with the idea of the quote-unquote casual, funny everyday family man with a super suit that grants him the ability to communicate with ants and change his physical self into various sizes, meeting world-ending scenarios nor gruesome villains that will do everything that is necessary to achieve their goals. That's where Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantumania kicks in. The moment it got teased back with its slightly altered title, Ant-Man and the Wasp in Quantumania, and how its first teaser trailer dropped, I was intrigued. It featured Kang, the abstract and wonderful quantum realm, hints of drastic sacrifices being made that could eventually tip the scale of the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. I was intrigued. Well, but at the same time, grew worrying that it would not live up to my expectations. I already have Eternals and Doctor Strange 2 to disappoint my interest in otherworldly and cosmic expansion of the MCU itself. Look, don't get me wrong. What about Guardians of the Galaxy? That's a different story, 'cause I feel like that franchise feels like an epic space opera on its own that can stand on its own to introduce many kinds of new feats outside of the known Marvel product. Whereas the idea of Eternals shoving mechanized gods, Doctor Strange traveling away to alternate universes, and meeting up loads of new variants of existing characters could have piqued more interest. Ant-Man 3, I'm just gonna call that for now because the main title is kind of mouthful. Ant-Man 3 kind of managed to do that. 
It brought me interest to see how and what both the Quantum Realm and Kang would deliver to change everything that we both know and love from the MCU up to this point. And so, is this 2023 superhero movie, directed by Peyton Reed, starring Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Jonathan Majors, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, and more, which managed to gross over $421 million worldwide, lives up to my expectations and hope, on a breath of fresh air for MCU's Phase 5. Well, that's the main topic that we will discuss on this podcast episode. Ahem. Ladies and gentlemen, cats, my name is Pak Kuching, and on this ninth episode of the RNREX segment, allow me to take you to another brand new realm, where strange, new, wonderful things will blow your mind and leave you breathtaking. We're about to learn brand new things that exist beyond our bounds of common understanding. For today, I will fully educate you about the wonders of the quantum realm and reviewing a movie to its maximum particle potentials. Stay put, true believers, as I welcome you to today's mind-boggling, spoiler-filled episode of Ant-Man Quantumania In-Depth. Now, before I start things off, I'm just going to restate that I will be mentioning and describing major and load spoilers from this movie throughout the podcast episode. We cool with that? Alright. Moving on to the somewhat short plot points of the movie. I don't want to stretch over things because I, I want to make this RNR EX compact and well true to its points. I don't want to make I want to, I don't want to overstretch it to the point I'm going to review something that will take up about 40 minutes. I'm just gonna try to make this simple, 30 minutes or less. So here we go. This movie starts with a short flashback of Janet Van Dyne's experience during her days of entrapment in the quantum realm, where she encounters a random passerby named Kang. By later parts of this movie, we eventually learn that during her time in the quantum realm, Janet helped Kang in restoring power for his ultra-dimensional ship thingamajig. He offered her hope, wink wink, in returning to the real world, but then Janet learns that Kang is ultimately a ruthless conqueror, destroying and taking over various universes as he please. Fearing he would conquer her own real world, Janet decides to betray Kang and runs away up until the events of Ant-Man and the Wasp, and so on. While on the other, Kang has been fortifying his own utopia and army, ruling over the quantum realm up to this point, planning his somewhat scheme in calling out the distress signal to the real world to help him in regaining his lost power source to his floopli duda thingamajig thingy. Then we head back to the real world and actual timeline of the story, where the whole Ant-Man gang are living their lives to the fullest. After the events of the so-called infamous blip from Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, Scott Lamb became a wealthy writer, or philanthropist, or something, I don't know. The, the movie doesn't, didn't describe well or, or what he's doing, I mean like he's an Avenger, but he's just doing things on his own, I guess. And Hope returns, uh, I mean, well, she runs her father's company back to the time, not returning back to her. Yeah, it, it just happens. Everyone's just living a very comfortable and rich, lavish life. Yet, Cassie Lamb became a troublesome teenager. Family drama as always. Eventually, they learn that Cassie Lang, Scott's daughter that I already mentioned, has been working on a device that can establish contact with the Quantum Realm in secret with Hank Pym and Hope. Upon learning this, Janet panics and forcibly shuts the device, only to then receive a message from the realm and opening a mysterious portal which shucks, 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 shucks sucks all of them into the quantum realm. Ooh. Thus, their adventure began as the Ant-Man family, gang, troop, 
wanders off to the realm, trying to find a way back home, whilst meeting new friends and old foes in this epic science fiction uh, adventure feature movie thingy. Ooh. Well, I guess that's the whole somewhat plot that I can give to what the whole movie is all about. What what you say? I'm oh, sorry. You want to hear out how this movie ends with its post-credit scenes? <sighs> all right, fine. But I warn you, it's absolutely formulaic, 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 systematic, as it, as it's written, and has not that much of a hype factor. Well, then I'm going to explain the climax and ending of this movie, which, well, it kind of let me feeling a tad bit disappointed in a way, but still kind of hoping for more. La di da di da. After a series of events. The Ant-Man family gang manages to fix their magical and technological portal thingamajig with the power core that Kang did acquire and lost. But then we get an absolutely brutal fight scene that was absolutely amazing and powerful. I'm guessing that Kang kinda, kinda has that same vibe that he was preparing for Creed 3 and kinda projects as well to this movie, which I don't mind seeing a ruthless and very vicious villain laying out our own main character. I, I, I miss that kind of bra bravado. I, is that the right word to use? Like, I, I miss seeing a beatdown scene where the villain could felt like as if he almost won the scenery. I, I wanted more from that. But I guess we didn't get that because it's Ant-Man 3 and it's Marvel Cinematic Universe with its, own, with its own like standard systematic storytelling and narrative driven plots. Yeah, eventually, um, only to have Hope returning back to help Scott, and they both manage to destroy both the power core thingy and knocking Knack, uh, knack. <laughs> carrying into the forceful of Oblivion pull from said explosion into the unknown. And yeah, there goes Kang, instantly, poof. It's not fully mentioned whether he is alive or not, but we can assume this exiled Kang might return in the nearby future. I hope so, because if he dies, well... He died as a bitch, cause he died to Ant-Man and the Wasp, which kind of felt meh at this point. Like imagine losing to a side character. I'm I'm really sorry for Ant-Man fans. I just I don't think that Ant-Man has the somewhat potential of being a lead superhero. He works well in a superhero team up, but on his own, I don't I don't feel and see that Ant-Man has that star power value. Like imagine you're in a WWE scenario where there are multiple varying wrestlers that has to fill a different position and also role. Someone has to become the main face of the company, someone has to hold the IC title, the Universal title, sorry, the United States title or even the tag team titles. Whereas I imagine that Ant-Man doesn't fit anywhere to that point. Like, like he's just Ant-Man. He doesn't have any anything that's charming or special. I kind of wish and hope that I, I received something that establishes Ant-Man's status as an Avenger, both him, Ant-Man, uh, sorry, uh, Wasp, and also Cassie Lang, and I guess it's his whole gang, to become a full-fledged superhero that can actually prove that they are worth something, instead of just happens to be in such situation, and then somehow have that, what's the word I'm looking for, um, they, 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 they have this somewhat gizmo that can somehow help to save the day. I wanted them to become their own full-fledged I don't know, let's say akin to Iron Man or Spider-Man or even Black Panther. Yeah, so that's what I felt that uh, that's that's the thing that I felt kind of disappointed, uh, disappointed with this movie. Like Kang loses that easily to Ant-Man. It felt way too cheap and cliche. I wanted to feel like there's tension from what Kang can deliver for 
for phase five, which I will talk more in the pros and cons section. I think I'm 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 a bit uh, uh, moving away from what I'm 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 trying supposed to tell in this section. <laughs> so yeah, uh, back to the somewhat ending of this movie. Cassie Lang then rewinds the portal somehow because we know that the portal that opens from this side of the realm, from the quantum realm, is is well unavailable, and somehow they can do it. With like, I, I don't know, like somehow the pearl just fixes by itself. It has another energy source, and they and they somehow craft it in the nick of time. Like, does the quantum realm even work outside of our own time and space, or it's it's like an, a linear timeline? I, I don't know how that works. Just it just happens. They 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 are they're all rescued and they have a really good ending, and just they all happily resume their life, which. I'm kind of baffled. I I kind of wish and expect that Ant-Man and Wasp would uh, have their own share of being st stuck and trapped in the quantum realm, like a vice versa uh, situation from how uh, Janet Van Dyne experienced. And I kind of want to see that for our main protagonists to feel and encounter that. So it fully fledges the idea of Ant-Man and the Wasp in the Quantum Mania, as the title said. But no, we didn't get that. It just happens to be Ant-Man and the Wasp and their family gets trapped in the Quantum Mania for a while, fights Kang, and then gets back to their own realm. That's it. But what I kind of love about the ending here is that Scott begins to rethink on what he was told about Kang's death, as it will jumpstart the beginning of something terrible, because, as, as what Kang said himself. Because, because we've already had two instances where Kang mentioned by himself, well, another variant of himself, in Loki and both in this movie, that if something happens to them, any kinds of Kang variants, the other Kangs will take notice and then, well, they would, of course, react to such um, events. They would know that something is wrong because one of them was taken away and they have to revolt around it and plans, well, I mean, like, of course we found that one of our Kangs is dead and the uh, and the multi-universal thingamajig is about to be broken, we need to do something about this because we want to take over and rule everything, but if some of this whole thing is messed up, we cannot fix this. I guess that's the, what, that's the somewhat gist of how uh, the Council of Kang is trying to achieve and capture as their own motive and goal for throughout the phase 5, 6, and 7 of this movie. So yeah, um... It's, it's, it's something that's kind of disappointing as well. Another another point that I, that I kind of felt was way too decent and, and, and weak. As Scott was about to learn the terrible truth or realization that something terrible is beginning to happen. Of course, the Kang Dynasty. He just brushed it off comically and then just celebrates his birthday, which it's just doesn't feel like a proper ending. It, it, it felt like a cliffhanger and I hate that. It's just, eh. And anyways, mid-credit scene. We see that there are numerous variants of Kang which are concerned by the main MCU's universe. So they already took notice that the overseer, I kind of forgot his name, the one from Ka from Loki and then the exiled Kang, both of them are, are beginning to disappear one by one. They already took notice in Earth-616 for its involvement in disrupting the sacred timeline, quote-unquote killing their own variants and further progress in overarching the multiversal potentials and they already took notice of it. And it seems like the Council of Kangs are planning for an uprising as it was foretold from the end of Loki Season 1 and then we have that somewhat um, uh, a uh, 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 prophecy, 
prophecy. I, I guess that's the best the, the best word I can describe and use for this uh, from Anime Three. And also speaking of Loki, for its post credit scene, here we see Loki and Morbius. Not sure which Morbius we're dealing here with uh, here. Um, I'm not sure whether it's Morbius from the end of Loki season one or the entirety or, or, or the actual Morbius that we met throughout the Loki season one. Uh, I'm not sure about that. As they locate and meet up with another Kang variant named Victor Timely on another Earth in what seems to be the early 1900s. And what will this lead up? Who knows, it's everyone's game at this point. Of course it's gonna lead up to Loki Sin 2, but for its whole involvement with, within the Phase 5, I'm not entirely too sure. So there you go ladies and gentlemen, cats, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Summarized quickly and a tad bit abruptly by yours truly because it's been like what, two weeks since I've watched the movie and we've gone into like a spoiler-free territory where everyone just can just go ahead and say things. There's There's been numerous um, bootleg clips throughout the YouTube uh, and also various kinds of uh, social media platforms. You, If you are really interested in seeing uh, the ending of Ant-Man and what are the spoilerific mid-credit scenes look like? Like, what are the variants of Kang that we see and get in this movie? Oh, trust me, there's a lot. Like, there's the um, uh, the Pharaoh one, Ramon Tal or something. I, I can't forget his name. There was this one that looked kind of like a Silver Centurion, kind of Iron Man kind of bit. And then there's one that looks like an alien. And of course, and of course we have the iconic uh, comic book panel scene of the classic console of Kangs. And, and there's one even the creepy looking Kang uh, being portrayed in the movie, which looks accurate to the infamous comic book panel. So yeah, I guess that's it. Like, that's my somewhat summary through uh, for the whole movie. Now then, I would like to share my own thoughts on said movie with our go-to and always reliable pros and cons section. Look, I already told you that I'm just gonna make this simple and quick. I'm not gonna overarc and overstretch everything. I'm just gonna say what I think uh, is proper about this movie. The whole summary, pros and cons. Let's just get to it. Well then, time to start things off with the very first pros that I can pray straight out about this movie. So, many critics, fellow audiences and fans alike has stated that this doesn't feel like an Ant-Man movie or franchise. It feels more like something akin to Star Wars or any other heavily sci-fi themed movie by its setting and prop wise. Like I do experience and feel that the whole aesthetic that they try to bring out after we enter the quantum realm feels very alienish, which I really do enjoy. Even a tad bit more than any of the other space themed MCU properties like Guardians or <coughs> Eternals. Whereas Guardians embraces its wackiness and Eternals try to become artistic, I do think that Ant-Man delivers well at portraying the vibrant and abstract side of what science fiction is. Not sure if we had such a thing in previous Ant-Man movies since I skipped on it and I can't compare it. <laughs> well, what I expected to see and view in Doctor Strange 2 was actually delivered quite well here instead. The atmosphere, the camera angles, and Quantum Realm's inhibitants are wild and weird to the extent of your imagination, which I've stated I absolutely love. Everything in the Quantum Realm felt like as if it's plucked straight out of comic book panel nor a video game scenery. And I hope we can see more in future MCU entries. Can't say much about its overall CGI quality since we'll be talking about that one in the con uh, cones? Con section. Yes. Moving on to another obvious prose point. Jonathan Majors as Kang. Should I say more? 
he is a goddamn beast. Performance, acting, and physique-wise, he oozes out an aura that really do felt like it's believable that he can be threatening as Kang, solidifying the fact that he is Kang and his other variants is an actual and potential next level Thanos threat. And what's amazing is that he's got a big shoes to fill, literally. Besides noting the fact that he has to portray the next ultimate villain for the newest MCU saga, he also has to manage portraying different variants of himself, which has different set of characteristics, but still staying true to what Kang is. Motivated, devoted, ruthless, manipulating, and yet charming at the same time. After witnessing him as the he who remains in Loki with ambiguous and mystique persona, then shifting into this boastful and ruthless exiled Kang is amazing, and I am eager to see his future other variants that we'll talk about in the next few pros points. And um, by the way, alright, Catherine Newton as Cassandra Lang, Cassie Lang. I'm sorry ladies and gentlemen, but I'm going full simp mode. I love her. <laughs> Yes, she needs a tad bit work in her acting skill and chemistry with the whole Ant-Man cast, but I do believe she has potential as a future Young Avengers member. She's cute. Cassie herself was portrayed by multiple different actors in previous entries, so it's kind of funny to see a fresh new actor portraying her. She kind of nails the scientifically brilliant prodigy for being the next Ant-Man, the somewhat charm at being a troublesome rebellious young adult, but I can't say much about her portrayal as Scott's own daughter. We will continue discussing this on the con section, but subjectively, but subjectively speaking, Catherine Newton is cute. <laughs> and then also another obvious post-credit uh, post scenes that I've mentioned earlier, they both managed to entice uh, future phase projects and trajecting its plot for a hopefully clear direction of threat and sequences to the MCU itself. I can adore that we will receive a slap in the face, reminding that the MCU is entering another saga and we have to prep ourselves to meet up with loads of new characters and also threats in the future. Comparing this movie with any of the Phase 4 entries, this movie truly felt like the proper starting point for the whole Kang Dynasty saga, whereas everything in Phase 4 all felt like absolute filler episodes. If, if you know wanna, if, if you've watch multiple Naruto, Bleach, One Piece, or any kinds of anime episodes, you would know what a filler arc is. They they all felt like they are overarching with new plot points and over-explaining certain retcons to what happened between and after the blip incident, and also, well, past things that has to be retconned just to make sense. Wing-wing is Shang-Chi. No wonder I skipped on many of its entries, movies and TV shows alike. Well, except for some interesting projects like um, the Wolfman thing. I, I kind of forgot what it's called, to be honest. So yeah, uh, another thing that I like about this movie is the last few scenes, which I've already mentioned uh, earlier. Scott Lang's slowly but surely clear realization of what will come after the Quantumania event, which gives additional harrowing thoughts. This is what I've wanted for a long time. A comically written character being put up in the shoes of a major scale tragedy that could happen soon enough. That realization that he may somehow involve himself as a key point that could potentially end everything is interesting. Not, I mean, like, nothing much to say about it since Scott eventually should struck it up and call it a day. I kind of hope to see more of that in the nearby future. Like, like, imagine if we jump off to... I'm not sure whether the future MCU project... It, it's, it's definitely 
gonna be Guardians 3, but I'm not too sure what will come next. Ho hoping to see that Ant-Man like having this like ah shit moment. I, I kinda wanna see that. I, I I want to see Kang coming back and saying that, see what you've done, Scott? And everyone just goes like you made all of this? It's just I I, I wanna see that. <laughs> And then, a slight subjective first point, having Bill Murray as a surprise cast cameo was entertaining. Hoping he wouldn't make another return. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, not much to say about this character, Lord Krylar, since it's just that, but having Bill Murray in the MCU, that's kind of fun. Yeah, that's it. I don't have any more pros point. <laughs> well then, I guess that's it for, the, for this uh, section that I can dish out for this movie. It's time to get things heated up with the con section. Alright, the cons section. Oh boy, where do we start things off here? Um, Alright, um, God, I'm gonna go all out in this section. Alright, again, many critics, fellow audiences, and fans alike have stated that this kinda don't feel like an anime movie. It doesn't feel much like, like what anime 3 should be. The entirety of this movie feels more like Star Wars, story and humor-wise. And when I say Star Wars, I do mean the new trilogy ones. Yuck! The overall plot itself kind of felt too mediocre and predictable. It really did, down to the last point by having this movie's Kang, which I'm sure isn't Prime Kang, having quote-unquote as Scott did, killed off, was foreseeable with the usual MCU structure and narrative. Like, I kind of met a self-bet towards myself that I kind of feel, um, foresee that Kang would probably die, quote-unquote, in this movie. Which I really do hope he doesn't, though? But if he dies, though, like, come on, man, really? But I, but uh, another, at the same time, I am really glad that this is just another one of Kang's variants that we just met. And the actual possibility for the Council of Kang and the... Uh, and, 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 and an actual Prime Kang would pop up in the future... MCU installments would be a, a dream come true, and I hope to see that. Really, I do. I'm just overly done with the basic structure and formulaic story that the MCU has always dished out. Like, I wanted something new for once. Like, come on, you could you could probably raise the bar, build up the tension, tear off a limb or two, if you know what I'm saying. Give us more of the experimental stuff, like what Werewolf by Night did. Give us more Moon Knight. And heck, I don't mind the first few episodes of Miss Marvel. It was lighthearted and colorful. I kind of wanted that more. And not the basic superhero story where everything is structured to what a generic superhero movie is. Thor Love and Thunder, Black Panther 2, what else that we have in Phase 4? I, I, I barely even remember what are the pivotal movies that we have for Phase 4. Gah! Dear God. I expect that is to introduce something new, like what they have done with previous projects and Salmons, which I've already mentioned previously. For what I've hoped that Ant-Man 3 would be a full-fledged sci-fi adventure with minor goofy nuances. Again, let me restate that. Minor goofy nuances. And instead, it felt more like a forced family drama adventure. Albeit the previous fact that I praised Cassandra Lang in my previous prose point, I do feel like her introduction as the same old template rebellious teenage character was meh. Why couldn't she be introduced as a scientech wizard at the first place, which could instantly affect the whole Lang and Pym family without forcing the very first scenes of recapping Scott and Reed once alive after the blip? 
I don't need such unnecessary recaps since it didn't even get mentioned up during the runtime of the movie and of course for its ending. And then I feel like there are more scenes that were cut off and placed at weird sequence from certain parts of the uh, movie, not video, which made the whole viewing experience kind of felt distant. Like certain scenes where Scott and Cass were taken by the subatomic refugee to drink the ooze, drink the ooze, drink the ooze, then we suddenly switch back and forth to the pimps, were kind of felt choppy in a way. My viewing experience for this movie truly felt messy for its middle runtime. Then we have the CGI issue. Oh boy. The still and somewhat mediocre CGI quality for some of its characters. Look, I'm fairly excited <laughs> seeing the wonderful set and creatures throughout the movie, but it wasn't as eye-pleasing as I thought it would be, where I hope that we will get the same effect quality as somewhat akin to Doctor Strange and its sequel, only to what I received and experienced was multiple game-like and nauseating graphics, which some did work, but in overall presence, some did felt a bit too much. This movie kind of forced itself in hoping to adapt the wacky and absurdity of how a comic book panel might look like, but it didn't deliver much that well for this movie in my own subjective taste. It almost did, but after more reconsideration thoughts about it, meh. Speaking of CGI and effects, I had to take a slight jab, well, for one of its underutilized characters, Modoc. Yes, apparently Modoc made an appearance on this movie, spoiler alert. Corey Stoll makes a surprise return as Darren Cross aka Yellow Jacket from the very first uh, movie, Ant-Man, where, where he was shrunken to subatomic size and eventually mutated and transformed into Modoc by Kang, or at least a variant of Modoc, because I really do believe that we might be seeing a better, much more faithful prime Modoc in the nearby future or in, future in any other kinds of installments, if that's truly a thing on its own. So like to summarize, I'd say that the Modoc we meet in Ant-Man 3 isn't as entertaining as I hoped he would be. He feels too much. He feels very outlandish, delusional and grandiose to the fullest. He felt corny and unfunny in his last few dying bits, spoilers. Well, yeah, he died. And he kind of forces himself believing that he is an Avenger. I guess the Pym particles kind of messed up his brain or something. He's He's not fun. He's not the Modoc. He's not the giant head Modoc that is smart and owns a uh, owns aim. Was it aim? I kind of forgot his own Cronus, um, his own evil uh, empire's name. Was it aim? I think it was aim. It's like in, in the comics and the games, and also in the cartoon adaptations. It just it's just not that Modoc. He almost felt like a Modoc, but it's not him. So yeah, hopefully enough there will be another variant of Modoc that will be much more faithful to his whole characterizations and or origins. Amen to that. And I guess that's um, uh, my somewhat last cons point for this movie, which we can fully recap and summarize for our next section, which is the ending. Right, to be honest, I really have no idea how to close up this whole review. Like, should I end it with a wholehearted or decent summary to what my experience from watching Ant-Man 3 in Dolby Atmos is, or whether I should stay put and leave it all behind? I think I've already made a point throughout the entire podcast episode that I was kind of disappointed yet again with MCU's presentation and delivery of their superhero movies. It's formulaic, bland, and way too common to absorb as an avid superhero audience and fan. But here's where I think I would be criticized by some fans. 
Like, listen, I've made another point in the few, the few first parts of this podcast episode that I never had any kind of interest nor nostalgic values with the whole Ant-Man lore, unlike some of the other MCU heroes nor villains. Hence, I still expect that the MCU or whoever that would fill in the position to direct another Ant-Man movie in the future to fully convince me that Scott Lang or the other Ant-Man, uh, well, members, uh, or family gang camaraderie, whatever you would like to call them, could be cool and entertaining, or at least palatable to enjoy, without having to rely on big hits such as Kang, the other Avengers members, nor even MODOK, that didn't even feel like it fitted for this movie. I think what I can summarize Ant-Man 3 is, how, how should I put it? You know that feeling when you try to complete a 100 piece puzzle to only realize that you're missing one last piece? And you just try to fill that gap with anything that can possibly be fitted? Yeah, that's Ant-Man 3 to me. For its own entire entry uh, to the recent saga timeline and as a movie on its own. Last minute overall score that I would give for this movie, a very common and straight out of the gate 6 out of 10. I'm glad it wasn't Thor Lo- Love and Thunder level of disappointment though. Ant-Man 3 is still quite passable and enjoyable to watch, but not for replay- replayable feeling pleasure. Like, trust me, you don't want to see Ant-Man 3 too much, it- it'll get nauseating. Now, is it a great Ant-Man movie? To be frank, I don't know, and I don't care about it. Since I mentioned before, I wasn't too fond with Ant-Man itself, and I barely remember anything from the last two movies since I don't watch the sequel, I don't remember anything from the first movie, so I can't make any proper comparison for it. But is it a decent movie to start off Phase 5 and prepping us to what's coming in the future? Absolutely. Oh yeah, by the way, one additional con section. I miss Louis and his whole and Scott Lang's previous um, posse. I kind of miss them. They weren't in the, in the they weren't in the movie. I do believe that they were some of the additional characters that brought some, I don't know, pizzazz to do to the whole Ant-Man movie. Because I guess Lewis was one of the characters I kind of remember the most from the first Ant-Man movie, and I've seen clips of him from the Ant-Man Wasp. I, I, I was expecting that he would show up again, but no, we didn't get him. Which just kind of felt weird. Yeah. So, uh, back to the... Back to my uh, own thoughts. Like, comparing this movie with any of the Phase 4 entries, you can definitely feel that this is the start of something that would inevitably feel like it's prepping for another Infinity War nor Endgame scenario, where I consider the whole Phase 4 movie, as I've said before, as filler episodes after the Infinity Saga, and Man 3 manages to feel a tad bit much more proper in preparing us for the Kang Dynasty. As we make our way to the end of this episode, <clears throat> don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, cats, it's the Lazy Cat Podcast Show, otherwise shortened as the Podcast Show, will feature new weekly entertaining and refreshing podcast episodes with loads of interesting topics, unlike the Phase 4 of the MCU. <laughs> Taking a slight jump as we are nearing the ending, huh? Starting off from RNREX, where I will review everything pop culture related just like this episode, Relax Corner, where usually some guests and I will hang out together to discuss around topics well, whatever topic that we can uh, come up with. And then we have Spooky Talks for all things related to the world of horror and supernatural, the perfect idea, where everything about work-life balance topics and issues will be shared. And last but not least, Interlude, where I will feature new amazing guest stars for a delightful talk show session. All of the aforementioned segments are available for your listening pleasure on Spotify, Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more streaming platforms. Always free and on your demand, wherever and whenever you are. 
And if you would like to support Pak Kucing and this podcast channel, you can donate away from my Taraktir, Saweria, Kofi, or even PayPal. Your donation means a lot for Pak Kucing and keeping this podcast channel to keep on entertaining and staying on air. All of the aforementioned links are available on my Linktree page, that's Linktree slash It's The Lazy Cat. That's Linktree, double E slash It's The Lazy Cat, L-I-N-K-T-R, double E slash It's The Lazy Cat. Right, announcements for next week's uh, entries, we'll be having a two-part R&R EX special episodes. Starting off with another exciting collaboration with a fellow online podcaster that loves to ramble away anything related to Tokusatsu, Wan Jambrong will be making another featured return on the R&R EX special Tokusatsu Talks Part 1, where we will review and talk about the recently finished season of the Super Sentai line, Avataro Sentai Don Buradas, and our thoughts and hopes for its, se- uh, its newest season entry, Osama Sentai King Oger. All this episode, uh, for our <laughs> next entry episode, everything will be in Indonesian in Bahasa language. So yeah, international audiences, you have to wait for more uh, English full episodes in the, in the future. <laughs> It'll premiere next week on March 18th. So make sure to mark your calendars, fellow podcast show audience and tokusatsu fans. Senryoku Zenkai, Matsuri Matsuri da! And one last tidbit before I truly wrap this entire episode. Thank you to all of you for sticking with us to this ninth entry of the RNREX segment. I do hope that the podcast episode would entertain and entice you to check out Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania if you do have the opportunity and time, and if it's still available on cinemas. Anyways, this has been Pakuching with RNREX episode 9, Ant-Man Quantumania in depth, and I will see you all again next time. Ciao! Ladies and gentlemen, cats, interested in supporting It's the Lazy Cat podcast show? Well then, for local Indonesian audiences, you can head on over to traktir.id slash it's the lazy cat and saweria.co slash it's the lazy cat. As for international audiences, you can donate away at paypal.me slash it's the lazy cat or kofi.com slash it's the lazy cat. For YouTube viewers, you can find these links in the description box down below. And don't forget to leave a like and hit that subscribe button. Make sure to check out other podcast show segments, always on demand, everywhere and at any time, over at Spotify, Anchor FM, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Overcast, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Last but not least, if you want a quick update and stay in touch with yours truly, you can head on over to Linktree slash It's The Lazy Cat. With a click away, you can easily navigate through my social media accounts and fan pages. And this has been Pak Kuching, signing out.